so we'll, we'll spend some time there. And then I'm also going to talk through um, a, a section in 2 Timothy as well, which uh, I think Paul's writing to Timothy is a, you kind of get a sense of Paul's relationship with Timothy. Timothy was a disciple of Paul, and you can see kind of uh, the, the intimacy of their relationship as, as he uh, writes the letters to Timothy. So uh, that's that's what we'll do uh, for, for the rest of this morning. Um, but let's, let's open up in prayer first. Lord God, we just, um, we thank you that your, that your uh, yoke is easy and your burden is light. And that you are um, a good master. That you want to teach us, you want to train us, you're interested in every part of our lives. And you want us to, to grow um, in the knowledge of you and grow in uh, embracing the cross in, in, in every aspect of our lives. I pray that we would, um, God, that we would just uh, grow in Christian perfection in progressing every day. And that we would just embrace the cross, not getting our way, um, that, that we would embrace uh, this life that you've called us into and that, that it would be full of joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I, I think talking about discipleship is, uh, like Ben shared, it's the most important thing to talk about. But I also think it's important to talk about because uh, true discipleship is becoming a, a, a rarer and rarer thing in the church. Um, and, and as a consequence, the number of people that are living out uh, real, genuine Christianity, uh, following Christ to the cross, I, I think the number of people actually doing that is growing smaller and smaller in the world, and, and especially in America. In uh, genuine Christian life and character is becoming a, a rare and rare thing. People of genuine uh, humility and holiness and charity, it's a, they're a, a hard thing to find. Um, and I think that's because a lack of, of true discipleship in the church. So I, I think it's really important that, that we're talking about uh, discipleship this weekend. So um, like I mentioned at the beginning, we're going to be going through uh, the Great Commission. So if you want to turn to Matthew 28, that is where we will start. And it's starting in verse 16. So it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So the first thing he does here is he establishes his authority. And as I was reading about this section, uh, a lot of people think that he's referencing uh, the Old Testament by saying all authority uh, ha has been given to me. And specifically, um, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, and I'll read those. Uh, Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. 
And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. So Jesus is, is almost certainly referencing this about himself, and the disciples probably heard this when, when Jesus says, uh, all authority has been given unto me. Um, he also says, uh, he, he references this, this same portion uh, in Mark when Pilate asks him to, to uh, say who he is, and Jesus responds and says, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, and the high priest tears his clothes because he knew what Jesus was saying. He knew that this was uh, divine authority over the whole universe. So it's the first thing Jesus does here is he establishes his authority. Uh, the second thing that he does, he says, uh, go and make disciples of all nations. As we, we talked a lot uh, up to this point about what a disciple is, um, but just to reiterate, so a disciple is someone who followed uh, another person's teaching, but also their way of life. It didn't just have to do with teaching, but it was their, it was their whole way of life. Um, and we, we, we see this in scripture when uh, some come to Jesus with a question about fasting, and they say, well, the disciples of John fast, indicating that they don't just listen to John teach, but John's disciples actually followed in his way of life. It was a certain way of living. They ate like him. They dressed like him. Um, so discipleship means enrolling as a student in another person's way of life, not just learning information from them, but actually living like them. And it's a skill. It's, it's a way of life. And I think it's important to note here that, uh, that Jesus doesn't say, go and get people saved. Go and, and get as many people saved as possible. He doesn't say that. He says, go and make disciples. And I think there's a big difference. Um, I've heard Chad give this analogy before uh, when talking about discipleship. Uh, and he said, if your goal is to have as many babies as you possibly can, you can probably have a lot of babies. But if your goal is to raise those babies and to be functioning, healthy adults, that's a whole different thing. And so it's a far, it's a far greater and longer and deeper process, and it's a more costly investment. And that's what discipleship is. That's what, what Jesus commands the church to do. It's not having as many babies as you possibly can, but it, it's enrolling people as students in the way of Jesus' life. And it's, uh, I think it's also interesting to note, this is the very last thing that Jesus gives to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. It's his last command, his primary charge to the church. I've given you a way of life. I've showed you how to live during my ministry. Now go and enroll other people in that way of life. It's the thing that we're called to do, to, to raise Christians who are in the school of Jesus, learning how to live the way that he lived. Um, and so like I said, and like Chad and Ben have said, uh, discipleship is being a student of another person's life. And uh, Ben mentioned this last night. 
but uh, I think it's a good thing to underscore. It's just like we don't have any idea really what discipleship is just by looking around at our culture. We have no cultural cues for, for what discipleship is. And Ben mentioned um, a, a coach and uh, a, a player, that kind of a relationship, but it's, it, that really falls short. The example I thought of is like a professor and a student, if you are you know, doing research under a professor or something, you're learning from them, you're, you're, you're learning how they do research and uh, everything about um, you know, this, this thing that they have mastered, uh, but it, 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 that example still falls short uh, as well. We really don't have a good example. Um, I was thinking, everyone's seen Star Wars. I, I was thinking about uh, you know, if there's any examples of this just in, in like media. And I think the, the idea of, uh, you know, we see Anakin, and he's like a student of Obi-Wan. He enrolls in, uh, in being a student of Obi-Wan, and, and Obi-Wan transfers his life to Anakin. He transfers the ways, the Jedi way. And um, so, so that's one example that I could think of. But um, I, I think it's actually more prevalent in, in Eastern cultures, and maybe Misa could speak to this a little bit. But um, learning trades, you learn from a master before you, you can go and, and practice on your own. And I was reading about um, like a master sushi, this is a hard phrase, sushi chef. Um, to be a master, you have to, you have to learn that trade for like something like 10 years. You sit underneath a master and just learn how they make sushi for like 10 years. And... I'm sure in doing that, you learn a lot of things that you could never just get from a book or get from a class or get from, like, information transfer. There's, there's things that you would learn by sitting underneath someone. Um, they, they're just transferred differently in living life on life with, with someone that you've submitted yourself to. Um, so you can learn all kinds of things that, that aren't information and things that just, just pass differently other than just reading about it or or taking a class or something. Another big example of discipleship that I thought of was uh, actually parenting. And, 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 you know, parents, your parents may not be aware of it, but they essentially discipled you. And, you know, whether they discipled you in good things or bad things, whether they were intentional about it or not, uh, they, they were discipling you in their way of life. Um, my dad fell in love with, with UK sports when he, was, uh, when he was a student at UK. And sure enough, I was going to games with him at Rep Arena and at Commonwealth Stadium when I was, I was four years old. And he, he passed that on to me. And um, guessing the same thing might happen with Noah. Who knows? We'll see. Um, but, but parenting is a, is a good example that we can look to of discipleship. It's bringing someone into... A way of life. Um, so I, I think it's good for us to think about discipleship as uh, in these terms as uh, you are submitting yourself to a master. And it's not, you know, it's not like someone who's bossing you around, but it's another person who has who has mastered something. And, and you say, you know, there's a lot that that guy knows that I don't know. And I want to submit myself to him and, and, and learn his way of life. And so Jesus, in this section, is saying, that's your job. Go and enroll people in my way of life. 
uh, and make disciples of, of all nations. Uh, the third thing he mentions here, he says, uh, so he says, go and make disciples of all nations. And the third thing he says is, uh, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we're called to, uh, to baptize. And what, we're not just baptizing people to get them wet. And it's not just uh, an initial baptism in water, in the symbolic nature of dying to sin and being raised with Christ. But it's, it's baptism is entry into the family of God. It's a household. And baptism is the uh, initiation moment. We're not just baptizing them, but we're baptizing them into the people of God. He says, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a family. That's the Trinity. We're baptizing people into the family of God. We're immersing people into the family of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, so God's saying, go immerse people in my family, in my ways. Uh, and then the fourth thing, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So what, what, are, we, what are we discipled to? We're learning from Jesus to live how he lived. And how did he do that? He took a handful of guys and a handful of ladies, and he spent three and a half years with them. He ate with them. He slept with them. He walked with them. He worked with them, traveled with them. They did ministry together. And it was in this, in this three and a half years, was how he taught them how to live life. It was the basics of the life of Jesus. Um, and I think this can, can be summed up simply by saying uh, the, the life of Jesus is obedience to your Father and being poured out for other people. That's what he was discipling people into. And that's what he was teaching them to do. I've laid down my life for you. I'm obeying my Father. That's what I want you to do. So now go and do it. Uh, so you could say... You, you could say uh, a disciple is someone who has Jesus as Lord, who is deeply immersed in the life of the people of God, and is learning to obey Jesus in everything. That's like we've talked about. Learning to obey Jesus in every area of life. And I've heard, I've heard people say it would probably be more helpful um, when talking to people if we asked, are you a disciple of Jesus rather than are you a Christian? Just because of there, there's clearly a difference between those two in our, our culture today. And we talked about this last night, uh, but this isn't a new thing. This isn't discipleship isn't something that started with Jesus. But we see examples of this all over the Old Testament. If you think back to the very, very beginning, uh, what is God's command to Adam and Eve? Walk with me, have children, and then teach them to walk with me. That's discipleship. Have lots of babies and teach them to walk with me. Of course, they, they sinned, and God started over with Abraham. But what was God's command to Abraham? I'm going to give you a son. Through him, he's going to bless the whole world. And you're going to teach him to walk with me. So um, Jesus comes, and, and, and it's uh, the culmination of, of, of all of this. Um, all the examples of discipleship that we have in the Old Testament. Um, and he's saying, what you have learned from me, pass on to your children, biological children and your, your children uh, 
uh, in the faith. And that's the work of the church is to, to walk with God and enroll others uh, in the school of, of the life of Christ. Amen? Amen. Um, well, I mentioned I also wanted to, um, to look at 2 Timothy. So let's um, turn over there. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, so like I said at the beginning, um, Paul's example of, um, or, or Paul's relationship that we see uh, here with Timothy is something, uh, it's, a, it's a clear uh, disciple, disciple relationship. And we can see that through uh, how Timothy uh, is writing to, or how, how Paul is writing to Timothy. So verse 1, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men, all who will be able to teach others also. Share in my suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And it's the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in all things. Um, so I think it's... Uh, I think that the first thing I notice here is that uh, Paul is... Paul says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And I think this, you know, this communicates that we need, we need to be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus. That means that, you know, you could actually be weak in the grace of Christ Jesus. You could fail to grab a hold of all of God's help and resources to do what he's called you to do. And he's saying, don't be like that. Be strong in, in the grace of Christ Jesus. Be the person who says, God, I need your help to do everything that you have called me to do. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, I hear people, uh, or I'm sure you guys have heard people say like, well, you know, I can't do this certain thing because I'm just doing it in my own strength. And rather than asking God for help and grace in doing that thing, they just decide not to do it at all. And so, you know, what Paul is saying here is, uh, you know, if you've been doing it in your own strength, stop and ask God for help and then do it. And remember, when you have God's grace and help, uh, it might not always feel like it. It might not always feel uh, like you, you have the presence of God with you. Um, I think, you know, we're probably going to get to heaven. There's going to be tons of ways in which we have seen that the grace of God was with us. Helping us along the way. And we had no idea. We were not aware of it uh, at all. But he's called you. He's given you his Holy Spirit. And he's given you grace to go and to do it. Um, so be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus. The next thing I, I, I notice here is the word entrust. 
So he says, uh, what you've heard from me in trust. And trust invokes to me something that you would do with something that's very precious and very valuable. It's not something trivial. It's not something um, – it, it's something uh, – someone's going to take care of something if you are entrusting it to them. And, and um, you know, to give someone something and trust something to someone, you know they're going to take care of it. Um, and as a new parent, I would probably be uh, pretty selective about who babysits uh, my kid because I have been uh, – Noah is a, a precious trust that's been given to me, and I'm responsible for who takes care of him. So it would be a big deal for me to entrust him to somebody else. Uh, and that just – he's very precious and very sacred. So the first thing uh, – Paul is saying, is Timothy, I have poured my life into you. What I've given to you is precious. And you need to find somebody to pass it on to, to entrust it to. And that's what, that's what discipleship is. That's what Jesus meant when he said, don't give your pearls to swine. Don't give what's been entrusted to you to somebody who doesn't care. Treat it as something that is precious. The things that, that God has taught you. So he says in trust. The second thing he says is in trust to faithful men. Faithful men. Reliable men. He says, I've taught you this in the front of in front of many witnesses, but you find faithful men to pass it on to. Reliable. It's not really an exciting word. It's not, um, you know, he doesn't say, pass it on to talented men, pass it on to charismatic men, gifted. But he says reliable, and I think that's, that's important. John, in, in Revelation, says um, that you will be pillars in the household of God. If you think about a pillar, a pillar isn't very exciting, but it's reliable. It's there. It doesn't move. It's not easily shaken. It's reliable. Reliable. So this is this is what uh, this is what the the world needs more of. People who will learn from Jesus, learn from His way of life, and year after year uh, give themselves to to being a student of Jesus. And I'm sure Ben and, and Chad and Billy over the years have seen a lot of people coming and going, especially in in this group uh, in, in a college group. There's Usually a lot of energy, a lot of excitement about um, God and a lot of things happening on, on campus, and, and there's just a lot of energy. Uh, but that doesn't always translate into faithfulness because there's, there's, there's few who will remain faithful. It reminds me of, of, of Jesus when he's, uh, he tells the parable of the sower, and he, decide, he describes the seed sown on rocky soil. He says... As for what was sown on rocky soil, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it in joy. Yet it has no root in himself, but endures for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. 
So when the excitement is over, will you put your roots down and remain faithful to God? And Paul's saying that's what we're on the hunt for. We are looking for men and for women who are going to remain faithful. And they're a rare commodity. So this is both uh, an invitation and a challenge that by, by God's grace, any of us can become uh, faithful men and women. But it, it means understanding what it takes. Uh, but it's what we're called to, even though it is, is a, a rarer and rarer thing uh, in the church to find faithful men and women. Um, also notice that he says, so he says, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And in our foundations class, um, Chad always cites this as an example of kind of a baseline of Christian maturity. Are you able to teach another person? And um, it, it, it's, a, it's a basic measure of, of Christian maturity. And the writer of Hebrews says, uh, hey guys, by now you should be teaching other people, but you're back in Christianity 101. And so we need, to, we need to backtrack and do uh, remedial Christianity, even though you should be teaching other people by now. So it's kind of a, um, just a baseline of, of Christian maturity. It doesn't mean that everyone is going to be a teacher. But what it does mean is that you should be able to help another person meet God in the Word. You should be able to help another person learn how to pray. All Christians should do that. You should be able to, to uh, teach someone how to plug into the, the body of Christ. That's basic maturity. So reliable men, not flashy, not gifted, but someone who can teach another person how to read their Bible. Teach another person how to meet God in prayer. So then uh, Paul moves on to these, these three images, and I think they're, they're great images just to chew on. He actually, at the end of this section, says uh, to Timothy, he says, hey, think about these things. Think about the things that, that I'm telling you. And I think that, that would probably be a good exercise for all of you this afternoon is to take these three images and really chew on them, really meditate on them and what they mean for your life for discipleship. Uh, so... Take, take up Paul's advice and, and, uh, and think on these things uh, this afternoon. So the three images, we've got soldier, athlete, and farmer. So um, verse 3 and 4. Share in the sufferings as a good soldier of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So think about the life of a soldier. How would you describe the life of a soldier? Pain. Sacrifice. Discipline. Suffering. Soldiers suffer. Soldiers do not have comfortable lives. And I think Paul is saying here, if you... Give yourself to finding faithful men and women to impart what God has given to you, to them. You might not be tortured. You might not suffer in that way, but you'll probably experience a lot of disappointment. It's not 
easy. It's not exciting. You're probably going to experience pain in that way, suffering in that way. We're studying Luke right now, and um, as I was kind of reading about Luke in Paul's letters um, in the New Testament, you notice you uh, kind of pick up uh, on some of the crew that runs around with Paul. And in one letter, uh, when he's talking about Luke, he says, Luke and Demas greet you. And then in, in Timothy, he mentions that um, Demas, in love with this world, has, has left me. And now only, only Luke has remained faithful to me. And I'm sure that was a, a, a serious um, place of suffering for Paul. He has poured his life out into Demas, and Demas has left him. And I'm sure this was really disappointing for Paul, and caused him a lot of suffering. Think about the, the parable of the sower uh, that I mentioned earlier, uh, which Jesus was speaking to the disciples. What kind of a return did they get on their, on their sowing? They didn't really get a lot. A lot of it fell, was choked out by weeds. A lot of it, you know, fell on rocky soil. There's only a little bit that actually bore fruit. Um, and so soldiers suffer. And I think we need to be prepared to suffer disappointment if we are in the business of, of looking for faithful men and women to entrust what God has given us. Paul also says that a, a soldier does not get entangled in civilian pursuits. So to do this, you're going to have to be pretty exclusive. You're going to have to give up things that other people probably do. Uh, you know, your, your time on hobbies might shrink. Your, your money might shrink. Uh, but people who want to do this, find faithful men and women, uh, are going to have to be single-minded in this way. And if you think about, you know, a soldier on deployment... He is single-minded. His life is given to the mission uh, that he is set out to accomplish. So soldier, they suffer. They don't get entangled in civilian pursuits. They're single-minded with the mission. The second image we have uh, is the image of an athlete. Paul says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So let's think about the life of an athlete. An athlete's life is a life of training if he's going to win. A lot of things are dictated for him. He gets up at a certain time. Uh, you, do, um, you eat certain things. You have to practice. You have to train over and over, day after day. Repetition, blood, sweat, and tears. It's not getting to do uh, the, the fun things on the weekend because you're going to be training. And you're not able to do certain things because the, the discipline that's required for you to succeed as an athlete. And then third example, the farmer. Um, I wish Olivia was here. She could talk about uh, the, the life of a farmer. But um, the, the, life of a, it, the life of a farmer, it is year-round. It's getting up at 5 a.m. every single day of the week, seven days a week, no matter what. Every day of the year, farmers don't go on vacations. And if you're going to be in the business of discipling other people, of finding faithful men and women to entrust what God has given you to, uh, it's, it's going to be work. It's going to be hard work year in and year out. Um, 
And it's going to be something that, that you have to be dedicated to. So like Paul said, it's, it, it is good to spend time thinking about these images and thinking about, uh, you know, what are their differences? What is Paul trying to, to uh, make an image out of? But remember that his original point was finding faithful men and women to entrust what God has given to you. Um, I think something else to consider here with these images uh, is just time. The amount of time uh, that it takes to do these things, to be a farmer, to be an athlete, to be a soldier. And think about the, the, the time that uh, Jesus spent making disciples. It was his entire life for three and a half years. When he called them initially, uh, the disciples asked, Rabbi, where are you going? And he said, come and see. And for the next three and a half years, they came and saw. So time. The second thing uh, to, to think about with these is devotion. If you think about these examples, they require absolute, complete devotion. You don't do any of these things half-heartedly. You don't be a farmer if you're half-hearted. You're not a soldier if you are, are half-hearted. Um, and being a disciple of Jesus and in turn making disciples takes that kind of a commitment, absolute uh, commitment to finding faithful men and women. And the third thing to think about is, is immersion. When you do these things, your life is completely immersed by it. Everyone um, you know, has heard of the best way to learn, learn a language is just to immerse yourself in it. And I'm sure people have uh, had this experience where you take a Spanish class in high school for two years and you don't learn much, but then you go and you spend a semester in Spain and you're immersed in the language, and you pick it up like that, and you uh, track with things that you, you, know, you would never learn in a classroom. And it's because you're immersed in the culture, you're immersed in the language. And so we need to be immersed in the Christian life. We need to be immersed in people living out uh, a poured out life for Jesus. We need to be immersed in the process of bringing other people into the life of Jesus uh, and learn how to do it ourselves and get that inside of us until it's what comes out of us naturally. So discipleship, it's not information transfer. It's life on life, and it requires a lot of time and a lot of devotion. Uh, some things that, that discipleship is not. Um, I don't think discipleship is just hanging out with other Christians. Sometimes you'll hear people say, yeah, you know, I'm going to a discipleship meeting, and you really kind of like probe a little bit, and what they're doing is just drinking coffee and hanging out. That's probably not discipleship. Um, they're reading the Bible, but, you know, maybe it's not connected to anything in their life, and it's just an, kind of an academic exercise. Uh, so discipleship isn't just hanging out with people. Um, another thing I don't, I don't think discipleship is is peer-to-peer. Uh, -peer. I think the point of discipleship is you see someone who is several steps ahead of you in their walk, and you commit yourself to, I need to learn what that guy knows, and you come underneath that person. 
So it's not peer-to-peer, but it's someone who is uh, ahead of you in their walk with the Lord and in in, uh, maturity. I think peer-to-peer might be, uh, it might be accountability, but it's probably not discipleship. Um, So just to wrap up and and some some questions to think about, um, who is discipling you? Who is your life connected with? Who are you living this life on life with? And what's your attitude towards them? Do you do everything you can to get around that person? Or do you make it difficult for them? Do you, are you hard to get a hold of? Do you avoid their, their phone calls? What's your general attitude towards them? And if you are being discipled, then who are you discipling? Who are you enrolling into the life of Jesus? Who are you entrusting what God has given you? Who are you entrusting that to? Um, and just like a real life example to, to reiterate this, um, Matt Henderson really, uh, I would say, discipled me. And it wasn't, it wasn't the foundations classes. It wasn't, uh, you know, UCF meetings where he taught or, uh, you know, going and, um, in, in, uh, you know, having a prayer meeting or something, but it was just the, the moments of his normal life that really discipled me. It was working on his house together. It was, uh, you know, seeing him interact with his wife. It was seeing, visiting him at work and seeing him interact with his coworkers. Those were the, th- those were the things where discipleship really happened, I think. And, it, you know, it's, it's normally not like the official things. It's not hey, you know, uh, I'm going to disciple you. We're going to go through this foundations class. But it is the the life on life. It's the stuff that comes up as you're living life together, Uh, doing stuff together, serving each other. I think that's where where discipleship really happens. Um, So the real question is, whose life am I involved with? And where, where is that life on life happening for me? I think it's important to note that that we are we're discipling people to Jesus and not to ourselves. And that's been said before this weekend. But I just wanted to to reiterate that, that we're not trying to make little copies of ourselves and that we don't. You know, I, I don't have disciples, but I work to make disciples unto Jesus. And if I'm not if I'm not plugging people into him, then I'm just stealing sheep. I'm just, I'm, I'm uh, robbing Jesus of what's rightfully his. And if I'm just making disciples to make myself look better or to, uh, you know, uh, have a good appearance with a certain group or a certain circle, I'm working against true discipleship unto Jesus. And so as we look like Jesus, we're trying to transfer, transfer that to other people. So I think, I think the question everyone should ask, have I, have I resolved in my heart that I have found a person who knows Jesus, who is ahead of me in my walk, where I know that God is calling me to be, and have I submitted myself to them? And if that's happening for you, are you finding faithful men and women to entrust what God has given, uh, what God has given you to them? 
And I think um, it's also important to note that, you know, this probably won't happen just with one person. You're probably going to have, uh, you know, someone maybe disciple you with how to spend your money. You probably might have someone else disciple you in, uh, you know, marriage and how to be a husband or how to be a wife. Um, but the, the, the ultimate question is, is who are the people who are pouring into you and who are you pouring into? Um, and, and where is that life on life happening? Because I think that's where, where true discipleship lies. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.